Terry uh, had told me that um, you're going to uh, do Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday messages. And being the personality I am, I said, I don't want to do those. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many churches they have out today that are doing waving palms and children dressed and going, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, you know, God bless them. And then Easter Sunday, it just threw me back to a pastor I once had that all he would do was put this old cross up there and it was the old rugged cross. And you're all spectators to the old rugged cross. And I said, I don't want it. I t- if anything, I'm, I'm not typical. I may be wrong half the time, but that's all right. But at least it's not typical. <laughs> I had, I've spent the last three weeks asking the Lord, what do you want me to say? What, what do you want them to hear? What, what's on your heart? And, and not in the production value of a little program. Or, we don't have little kids that can, at this church that could wave palm branches anyhow, so. Terry might. Maybe we could have gotten him. To... <laughs> so I asked Laura, I said, what do, you, what do you want me to talk about? Let's first talk about you. You've been told you have one week until your death. What's important to you? What's on your heart? Who would you see? Who would you spend your time with? What would you say? Would you run off by yourself and just die alone? Not wanting to burden anyone? Or would you gather your friends and family around you and, and tell them what's on your heart? And so I started with that theme. And gosh, I'm, I'm going to use just the book of John. There's other information in, in the other Gospels. But I'm, I'm just going to stick with the book of John because I don't want to make this a 23-week message <laughs> because you could. To spend that time to talk about what was on Jesus' heart. And my first thought was, okay, what did Jesus do and say that last week? And he, he did so much. He, he came in knowing he was coming into Jerusalem for the last time. And he, and he went and he taught. And he overturned the money changers in, in the temple. Because it was not a place that his father would have been happy with. He taught on the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And how important it was for the disciples to stay and listen to what the the Holy Spirit was going to tell them. That it was going to be his promise. He told them how their growth came out of him and and out of anything else. That because, and I don't think the disciples understood this at the time, but 
he talked to them about that he came, they came out of him like branches out of a vine. I don't think they understood what he was talking about. But he also told them one of the things the Holy Spirit would do is bring to remembrance everything he said that they would finally understand. He told them how much the world was going to hate them and challenge them. But to be strong, that the work of the Holy Spirit would be with them. And, and then he started talking about his death. And that's where I want to pick this up. But I'm going to start in uh, John 16, starting with verse 22. And if I have read through, and what, it come, what this is going to come down to is the, the last thing that Jesus does before he goes to the garden. It's his prayers. He's done everything he could. He's done everything that the Father has asked him. And so he lays down his heart before his Father, before his disciples, and before really us. He is, you can only imagine the burden, because being fully man, he was still fully God, and he knew where he was going and what was going to happen to him. And there is absolutely no way, you know, you might try to imagine what it's like being put on a cross, but the, the spiritual darkness that was put upon him for us, you can't, you cannot even imagine. And we'll talk about that. I don't know if it'll be this week or next week. But I just want to, I want to talk coming up to the cross, and next week I want to talk about the crucifixion. Okay, Lord help me. Let me say what you want me to say. Starting in 16, verse 22. And he had just told them what grief they would have and what pain they would have, but it would be like a woman giving birth. That after, after the pain of childbirth, she would have the joy of having a child. And he says to his disciples, So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice. No one will take away your joy. What the Lord showed me, and he, as I went through these, he just showed me things after things of these verses. And that's all I want to share with you today that no one can take your joy away. You can give it away. You can ignore it, but no one can take it. It is yours. It comes because you know him. And know is going to be the word that is going to come up so much in this, in this message. He goes on to say, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, and until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. I read over that so many times. And that day, no, no longer will you ask anything. I think that means Jesus says, you will not ask me who I am. Where's my authority from? Where's, where are you going? Where, who's the Father? You're not going to ask me any more of those questions. Because you're going to know. You're going to know who I am. And he goes on to tell him that if you ask in the Father's name, whatever you ask the Father in my name, you will, you will get it. But until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. They have always depended on Jesus. Jesus, take care of us. Jesus, feed us. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. He's not going to do that anymore. 
But they are going to see that the Father knows them and he gives them what they need even before they ask. And that will fill them with joy. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. He's not the intermediary anymore of what they need. The relationship is going to change. What they, what they have is going to change. I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. That's almost a precursor what he says over in chapter 17. He's saying the relationship, because of what he is going to do between them and the Father and him, is going to, going to radically change. They are going to have relationship with the Father. And again, they still do not understand. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now that you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech, talking in parables, now that we can see that you know all things and that you don't even need to have anyone ask you questions, that makes us believe that you came from God. They don't have to ask him questions anymore. Their eyes are starting to open. They're starting to understand who Jesus is and what he said. And that he is saying it plainly to them. They are fine. It's like those light bulbs going off in your head. You're finally getting a grip of what he's saying. And the next phrase Jesus says is amazing. You believe at last. Exclamation point. I don't know if it's up there. But it says, you believe at last, Jesus answered them. And he says, think about it. Jesus has tried to teach these disciples who he is and what his purpose is. And they have been physically with him for years. And they just start getting the grip. Just the last week of his life here on earth. And that brought him such joy. He says, you're starting to understand what I've been saying. Imagine how hard it is even having all this written down, but not having his presence with us in, in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense we have him. But we don't understand the, the spiritual sense totally. But they had him. They saw the miracle after miracle. They saw Lazarus rise. They saw the ones that rose just in his, his saying that. And they were just so excited, but then they go back. The people that went, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord were the same ones that said, crucify, crucify him. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He goes on to say, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. The Father never left Jesus' side, ever left Jesus' side. You look at in, in Mark, 
where the where Jesus goes, and I don't have it, so I can't say it phonetically, but Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? The Father never left him. The Father never left him. His humanity was so overwhelmed. Jesus, the man, was so overwhelmed, it became dark. And he lost sense, I think. This is, this is great theology. He lost sense of where the Father was in his natural man. Because the natural man was being crucified. And it could not cope with the immensity of what was going on. But the Father never left his side. A little lesson to you. It may seem dark. And you may seem all alone. And you wonder where God is. He is right there. He will never, ever leave your side. I have told you these things that you may have peace. So that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Those verses were in the first song we sang. You will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Last time I, the last message I had about after God's own heart, most of my download comes Saturday night or Sunday morning when I give a message. And the last time I talked about in Revelation where he lists the churches and he says, for those who overcome, and the first thing we do as, as natural people when we read those verses, and I think it's important to go back to them just for a minute, as we start panicking, can we overcome? Can you overcome? Are you able to do this? Are you able to fight this or that or that emotion or that? It's grace. See, Jesus already says he has overcome. And we know that Jesus in his death and crucifixion, rose to be with the Father. And we were in him, and the Father is in us. And that is part of the prayers that I'm going to talk about. See, you have already overcome this. Sometimes it's hard to realize it. Sometimes it's hard to live with with what's going on. But you have to realize you have overcome. And the benefits of overcoming, not on your own, but because of the grace of Jesus and the grace of his Father, to live inside of you and to live as you and to be as you and you are as him. We get lost as we go through our weeks. We lose perspective of what he says. But those, those churches, the gifts they received because they had overcome are gifts we've already received because we have already overcome and the first one is one of my favorites. You're able to eat from the tree of life. You will not be hurt by the second death. You will have hidden manna and a new name. You will get authority over all nations. You will be dressed in white. Never blot, your name will never be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. You will acknowledge his name before the Father. He will make you a pillar in the temple of God and write on you the name of God. And he will give you the right to sit on the throne with Christ. All because Jesus has already overcome. And those things are yours. Because you have overcome. Not in yourself, but in grace. It was given to you. Sometime when you're feeling discouraged, go back and read those. 
Those are yours. Those are your gifts. They're not gifts to come in the great by and by. You don't need to hang on with your fingernails until he comes again. These are things you already have. Now, chapter 17. Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples, and for us. He turns to the Father and says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, and that he might have eternal life through all those he has given him. Now this, listen to this. I know you've heard it before, but listen to this. Now this is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I, I want to first talk about glory. We glorify God as we worshiped because we sang and, and worshiped about who he is and, and what he has done. And he's far more exceeding than what we can say. But we glorify him. But what is this God glorifying us? See, when God glorifies man, he is manifesting his approval on them. And he's giving his interest to them. He's showing his interest. God glorified Jesus by saying, this is my son who I love and I'm well pleased. He gave him honor and praise. To each one of us, God says, you are my son, you are my daughter who I love and I am well pleased. He's glorifying you. You need to learn to carry that glory. You need to understand that glory. See, there are, there are some verses in Isaiah that says he will, share, he will not share his glory with another. God will not share his glory with another. But as heard Bill Johnson say one time, I'm not another. My father lives inside of me. Jesus lives inside of me. I am not another. I am the same. When God glorifies me, he glorifies his son, and he glorifies himself. That's why later on in the, in the prayers, when he prays, he says, I have given, Jesus says, I have given them the glory. And if you stand there and go, I do not want that glory, I cannot touch that glory, you have no understanding of what he's talking about. You're denying what the Father wants to give you. But the most important verse here now is, now this is eternal life. Boy, what a, what a way to start a sentence. You want to know what eternal life is? It's an, it's an easy, easy answer. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That you know God, and you know Jesus Christ, who he sent to us. There's the rub. There's the problem. See, if you go through many other churches today, they will all go, yes, I know Jesus Christ. I got my facts down. I know the, the names of the first four Gospels. I know where he was born. I know he died and was crucified. I know we eat ham, which is non-kosher on Easter. That, how do we do that? They, they, they know him in facts. Yeah, I'm going there. Linda hopes 
John knows her more than just facts. John hopes Linda knows him and more than just facts. See, there is there's a I know two and two plus four equals four. So what? I know Jesus came and, and died and we celebrate Easter and I get time off at school and work and we take vacations, we go to Epcot. That's Easter to some people. The Lord gave me a picture of what a lot of people sitting in churches this morning are. What's the world symbol of Easter? It's the Easter bunny. But the trouble is, most of these people who think they're the Easter bunny are the hollow ones that are just a shell. They're sitting on pews, and when you get into them, there's nothing in them at all. But they look good on the outside. That's like so many Christians. You're Easter Bunny Christians. You've got a facade on the outside, but you don't know him. You can state facts about him, maybe. And you may mess up a lot of the facts. I mess up the facts from time to time. God is gracious. But the word know there, in the Hebrew is yada. And it's the same word used when Adam knew Eve. Adam knew Eve, yada. He had intercourse with her. He knew her on a deeper, deeper level. See, knowing Christ is a physical knowing him. It is not a shell of Christianity. It is an intimacy that you know he is living in you. And that's our problem. We go through this. Even us, we struggle with knowing he lives in us. And that out of that comes everything that we can ask the Father for, that our joy may be complete. We struggle. We get in situations and we go, are you there? Do you care? But it's when you really know know him, that you know him, that you know him through the intimacy of Jesus. And then it doesn't matter what the world says or does. It will not change the fact that he is in you. And that is all you have to have. And that is what he's trying to tell the disciples. The world is going to hate you. He tells Peter he's going to die a death that's horrible. They all did, except John. But John, according to tradition, was they tried to kill him a number of times, and they couldn't do it. It comes down to knowing him and having relationship. And that's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand. And that's why he had such great joy when he says, you believe at last. You believe what I've been saying. I don't have to, you don't have to question me anymore. Are you still questioning Jesus? Do you still say, but God, but Jesus, you said, if you had that intimacy with him, if, if, he, if you knew that he was buried in you and that he flowed out of you, and then when people see you, they see him. 
your joy would be complete, and it would be complete despite circumstances. And Jesus goes on to say, And now, Father, glorify me in the presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is saying, Father, bring me back. It's like, Papa, bring me back and tell me how much you love me. Talk to me the way you did when we was we were with the Holy Spirit, the three of us, before the world even began. We knew all these people. We knew what was going to happen. But Father, bring me back to that point. Some good verses to read would be Philippians 2, 6 through 11, if you want to see some, some of the things of concerning that in Paul's teaching. He starts praying then for his disciples. He says, Father, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Think about it. The disciples were already gods. Even Judas was gods. See, everybody has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's not something you get because you've done some great deeds or acted nobly or given to the church. Whatever. It's, it's his grace. You're already there. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. There's the crux. That is eternal life. Father, the disciples have understood what eternal life is. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Father, you and I are one. What's mine is yours. and what... There is no separation. There is no legal separation that, and this pile is Jesus' gifts, and this pile is God's gifts. And the Holy Spirit gets to do what he wants with either one of them if they give him permission. No. The Father lavishes all his gifts, including his Son, on us. And the glory has come to me through them. Huh, the disciples gave Jesus glory? How did the disciples give Jesus glory? Remember, when I said men, men can give glory to God and praise him. But to come to understand Jesus and who he is and what he has done glorifies him. So when you come to understand, and, and this season is... is just a reminder, because we all grow dull, that you can give glory to Jesus for what he has done. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they will still be in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Again, there's no separation. God lives in you. Jesus lives in you. That's Jesus' prayer for his disciples. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been a loss except for the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture may be fulfilled. 
That's another verse I always struggled with. <sighs> Poor Judas. He got picked out of the bunch by God to be a, a liar and doomed to hell. No. And Jesus washed his feet. And Jesus ministered to him for three years. And Judas made his choice. I'd rather be here than there. Grace. Is everybody saved? We get this all the time. Is everybody saved? Yes, everybody has the opportunity. But not everybody. God knew who was going to do it from the beginning of the world. Jesus knew it when he picked Judas as a disciple. Judas didn't get numbered out. He had all that time of grace to change. I think I think God would have handled it if Judas didn't want it. There was going to be somebody who did it, but they knew it would be Judas. So I really used to struggle with that. I've, I've kind of felt sorry for Judas. My daughter used to call him Judas the scariest. The scariest. <laughs> Why is Judas the scariest? He goes on to say, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am in the world so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. I think that was word verbally and word personally. I have given them me, and the world hates me. And you've all heard that said so many times. You can, you can talk about Buddha, you can talk about Krishna, you can talk about Confucius, you can, but as soon as you, you can even talk about God, because that's universal. But as soon as you say Jesus, the world rises up. They hate because of that word. And the world has hated them, and they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. The word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctified means to be set aside. I have set them aside for myself. They are something that I adore. The world won't understand, but I have protected them with the truth. And I have been sanctified and they are sanctified. And I tell you, you all are sanctified also. He has set you apart. He has made you an example to the world. Because you know God. And you know the one he sent into the world. And that reigns and lives in you. Yada. And it's not the... Gosh, what was the comedian? They used to say yada, 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 yada. I can't remember who it was because I didn't watch the show, but even had one of their... Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yep. Everything was yada. Boy, you want to mock? You want to mock God? Know him. Now comes my best prayer, the one I, I really like because Jesus is praying for me. And Jesus is praying for each one of you in this prayer. 
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be so in this world and believe that you have sent me. Again, the description of knowing that I am in you and you and in me and they know who you are and they know that you sent me. That you may know. You may know. He's praying, oh, may they know that. And that's what's so sad. The simple message of, of the cross. The cross is not a Easter egg hunt on church grounds. It's not a performance It's not great singing. It's knowing who he is. It's not social justice. It's not defending the immigrants. It's not feeding the hungry. All those, some of those things are good. Some are limitedly good. But it is knowing him. It is knowing him. And knowing Jesus and knowing that they're alive in you. And I've got this highlighted and underlined. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Jesus says, I have given them glory. Jesus has given each one of you his glory. Again, he says, you are my son, you are my daughter who I love and I'm well pleased. You are my brother and my sister and you have the right to sit in heavenly realms. Jesus is telling them, and as you see the, the circumstances, he didn't go off and pray this alone. He prayed this so they could hear it. Later on in Gethsemane, he goes off alone. But this is before he's gone to the garden. He is praying this so the disciples can hear it and understand. I am them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me, and you love them, even as you have loved me. God loves you as he loves his son. And that just strikes me as there's that Joseph song that Michael Carr did, How Could It Be? When he talks about having raised the king. But how could it be that God would love me so much as his son? That is the truth. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory that you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. Again, that same theme, eternal life. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, that is not eternal life. But he says, I know you and that they have known you and that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and they will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I I myself may be in them. That's his prayer. That you may be in him. That you may know him. And that's it. And then Jesus goes on and and he goes to Gethsemane and He's arrested, and that's what I'm going to talk about next week. But you see, this is like a funnel. 
of before time the world even existed. And it is funneling down to this very, very moment. All the prophecies, all the prophets, all the things said about Jesus in the Old Testament, everything, all the actions of Jesus, all the actions of mankind have been funneling down to this one place. And if you know, you know what I'm talking about is a funnel. The top is big, but the bottom is small. It's going to come out at one place. That's Golgotha. It's going to be where the cross is. Where all time is going to pour out. And everything will change. The actions of the old Adam will never be again. The second Adam. No, not the second Adam. The last Adam. Second implies there may be a third. There ain't going to be a third. The last Adam. At that one point in time, in the world, it's going to be poured out and everything will change at the crucifixion. And that's where I'll pick it up next week. Thank you, Father, for your blessings and for watching over us. Continue with us, Lord. Let us know that knowing you and that you sent your Son is eternal life. And the only way we can do it is by grace, understanding that you live in us. That you adore us and you have given us your glory. That we may show your glory before a dying world. And yes, it is a dying world. The chocolate bunnies are being exposed. They're shells. Father, I ask those shells be filled with you. I ask, Father for your grace to spread. And I give you great praise and glory. I thank you, Jesus, for what you went through. I can't imagine. I don't even know. But I thank you that I ended up in the same place with you and with the Father in the throne room of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.